Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. We're starting a series called This Is Us. And This Is Us is, in essence, some of the main values, components, uh, beliefs, that we have as a church that we feel are very important. They're kind of like the pillars that, um, that the Lord has really established in our midst for us to have, you know, community life, for us to have uh, successful relationships, for us to grow in our giftings and in our callings, and then for us to even go out into the highways and byways. It's all about us being planted, growing, maturing, developing, and then going outward. We're not to be a church where we're just ingrown. It's just us and no more. But we got to also have a heart for those out there where we're to go and reach those that are, um, that are hurting that are struggling, and that need to know Jesus. So this week is week three of our series, This Is Us. And this is on successful relationships, establishing friendships, and building community life. You know, friendship is so important to Jesus because friendship is something that connects hearts and brings people together. And you know, having a friend and being a friend sometimes is not easy. And does someone know that it just doesn't have happen naturally sometimes? It takes effort. I mean, some, some people I've heard say, you know, I want a friend. Well, if you want a friend, you got to be a friend. And you got to give of yourself. And you got to lay down yourself. And you might even have to deny yourself. And you might not have to always be thinking that you're right and they're wrong. You know, it's a reality of, of it's going to cost you on your side of the spectrum to have a friend. And in that, you know, when you look at the life of Jesus, you can see a pattern of, of Jesus having friends. And you look at it like John 3, 29. This is John the Baptist speaking. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his voice. Do you see that? The bridegroom, the bridegroom's friend, Jesus and John the Baptist were friends. And he says, and John is saying, I just like to stand around and hear the guy's voice. And, and then he says, and therefore I am filled with joy at his success. So John the Baptist is talking about, I have a friendship with Jesus. John eleven three, 3, Martha and Mary, the two sisters who sent a message to Jesus telling him that, hey, your good friend has just died. Lazarus is dead. And in that, he says this, go tell Jesus, 
Lord, your dear friend is very sick. On a regular basis, when Jesus was traveling into Jerusalem, he'd stop off at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house. And he would have a meal, and he'd stay all night. And, and they were very dear to him. And it says that he would visit their home on a continual basis. So there's an understanding that Jesus really enjoyed having friends. You know, there was a moment in which he said some really hard things to the disciples. And it says that, and they all left him. And Jesus is standing there, and he's looking at a few of them, and he says, you're not going to leave also, are you? I mean, his heart is always wanting to have friends, community, dear, heartfelt relationships. John, as you guys know, one of the disciples in John 14, 11, he was the one that says, I'm the one that he loves. <laughs> yep, I'm the one that he loves. Like he didn't love anybody else. I mean, John knew that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved to be friends with John because John was one that was there in, in, in the garden. He was also there at the cross. When all the other disciples were gone, John was there. I mean, he was a heart friend to Jesus. And John 15, 15, this is what Jesus says to us. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. He says, I call you friends. You know, when Jesus chose the 12 disciples, he could not have chosen 12 more different people to come together. He didn't call a fraternity of guys that were all, you know, of one heart, one mind. They liked each other. It wasn't a good old boy club. It wasn't a fishing club. They weren't like they all were like buddies. They could not have been more different. But that was the genius of Jesus in that he wanted to take 12 unique individuals and challenge them to love one another, to be friends with one another, to be kind to one another. It took such effort. Do you know that Jesus normally puts you in situations that you're not naturally gifted in because he wants you to be dependent on him? He can put you in relationship with some people and, and they're, that they're in your life and it's going to take God for you to love them. I mean, come on. I know that there's times that I'm like, oh my gosh, does this even person even get it? You know, they didn't get that relational gift or being able to connect. And, and you know, you know, if, is anybody watching The Chosen, the movie, the, Cho you know, the series, The Chosen? And, and don't you love the character Matthew? I mean, he's quirky. He's unique. He's just, but he's brilliant. And, and, and that relational bent wasn't there. And it had to be something that he had to develop. 
but it got developed in the context with these men that Jesus called together. And a lot of times, you know, there are some that, that are very, that are just like the social butterfly. You know, they just want to be friends with everybody. You know, you can just tell them. They just kind of, you know, they just flit and flutter and they just, they just, they're the life of the party. And then there's those that's like, oh my gosh. You mean I got to be a friend? You know, they're like, you know, do I really got to talk to somebody? This is so draining. Oh my gosh. I am so drained when I talk with people. You know, I mean, I, I get energy by being with people. I get charged. I get wound up. And then there's those that are around people. And it's like, there's this, there's this plug that gets unplugged and all the energy goes and goes out of them. They do not get charged by being around people. They get drained. They have to go take a nap after they be with people. So, but, but we've got to understand that, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses in, in, in the body of Christ. And, and Jesus wants to do something that only he can do. And that's to take this group of people and make us one. And make us love one another. And challenge us to live life together. And to see that this is actually a priority in the heart of Jesus. And so I am just, I'm excited. And it is such an honor and privilege to pastor this church. And, and, and my love over the years has only grown and gotten more. Because the spirit of the living God has, has put within us the ability to relate and connect with people that are so different from us. See, this is not just a club where we're all alike and we just are going to like each other and everything's going to be done my way or the highway. You know, it's, it's something where having a beautiful community of believers is going to be costly, but it's beautiful. And the Lord's heart is that he stretches us. And you know, I'm going to tell you right now, most of Individuals maturing and growing up and being refined in the purposes of the kingdom is done in the context of people. It's done with other individuals. It will challenge you whether you're going to be patient. If you're going to speak less and listen more. If you're going to Believe the best in the other person and think more highly of the other person than you do yourself. I think most of my growth in, in my walk with the Lord has been in the context of relationships. It's, it's taught me how to forgive. Has anybody had to forgive somebody for the way somebody said something? Or maybe how somebody... Got a little angry with you or got upset with you? It, it's God's way of, of just fashioning the heart so that we look like Jesus. So let's look at Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. 
this, this portion of Scripture is examining, uh, really reveals also the heart of the church, that really the church is built relationally where forgiveness is a normal part of church life. Verse 15, if your brother sins, go and, and show him his fault in private. Have you ever thought about that? That if, if one stumbles, we're not here to just blurt it out. Did you see what John just did? Oh my gosh. The reality is, is that we're honoring each other and we're keeping respect and there's a, a measure of integrity by if I see something, I'm not going to go tell my friend and then tell another friend and then I'm going to go and talk to my brother like I'm going to correct him. You know, the scripture says if a brother is caught in a sin, that we're to restore them gently. Why? Lest we be tempted with the very same thing. So the reality is that we're to go in private because it's, it's, it's honor, it's respect. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, who, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree, you know, to get two Jews to agree is a difficult thing. Really. Two Jews don't agree. They always want to argue. But the reality is, he's saying, if you can get two to agree on earth about something that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So really, in the context of of many mighty things happening in, in your life and in my life is in the context of two or more. It's in the context of brothers and sisters. You know, brother, would you agree with me on this issue in this area of my life? Would you come into an agreement? Sister, would you come into an agreement with me and pray with me? And when we come into an agreement, that's when he says, then I will uh, answer and move upon your behalf. Because it says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. So the context of, of people being together is, is, is the very atmosphere that God is wanting to develop for prayer to be answered for him to move, for him to bless, for him to honor. So it's all in this relational context. And so then we look at verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Have you ever felt like that for Peter? I mean, I, I, I respect Peter. You know, he just kind of like laid it out there. Do you, are you telling me I got to forgive them? I mean, come on. Seven times? Up to seven times? 
I'm exhausted. They are a pain in the you-know-what. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Whoo! Come on, Jesus. The church is not built on meetings, but relationships. You know, our gathering right here is an incredible time together. But it's not built on us just gathering together and looking on the back of each other's head. It's built upon a relational context. And there are ma- there's a major difference between attracting a crowd and building a church. There are people today that are trying to attract a big crowd for church. And Lord bless them. But you know what? You can be a mile wide, but an inch deep. If there's not the contextual relationships of people being together as one. Relationships are the building blocks of a New Testament church. And forgiveness is a way of life in the kingdom of God. God wants us to enjoy strong relationships. In the context of the church, this requires effort, patience, commitment, and resolving conflicts that will inevitably arise and come forth. But it's in a manner pleasing to God. Before going to the cross, Jesus prayed for his followers to live out their relationships in loving unity so that the world would know and believe that he, that we're from God. So it, it's amazing is that one of the last prayers of Jesus is that, Lord, I pray that you would make them one and that out of their relationship with each other, that the world will see and believe in me. Have you ever thought about that? That in this room, He's saying, this is the platform. This is the place in which I'm going to proclaim who I am as they look at you. If someone came in here, would they think, wow, they really do love each other. That's something to believe. That's <laughs> a miracle. But the reality is, is that we're, we're kind of a signpost. You know, we're kind of a, a we're, we're to be a lighthouse. We're to be ones that shine forth the goodness of the Lord, and, and I, I, I'd, I, I, if I was, well, I wouldn't have done it that way just because it's not natural, but God in his genius mind, in his infinite wisdom, knew that it was going to take one another coming together with one heart and one mind and love for each other, and the world will see that Jesus is in their midst. So central to our mission and development of healthy community life, this is in your outline, in the church is the fostering of relationships. Without the glue of relationships, church life drips, drifts and becomes just a series of attendance at impersonal meetings and activities 
which can leave us lonely and unconnected in the world without a credible alternative. But with this glue, the church moves in harmony to fulfill its mission, and the love of God can be expressed tangibly. This is so vital for, for this church to thrive. The church provides a context for relationships to grow and mission to be fulfilled. God wants us to be proactive rather than passive in cooperating in the process of establishing relationships. And, and you know, really, and as I said here, the church, to be healthy and strong, we must understand that God's blueprint for maturity, maturity and cultivate relationships by us taking initiative and remaining loyal when problems arise. Do you know, I relationships with individuals uh, really does take initiative on our part. And, and we're not doing it just so that we can feel good. We're doing it because this is, this is the platform that God has provided for us to grow in and mature in and become all that we've been called to be. I am, um, in my life, there have been some moments where um, before I was pastoring, um, I was in sales with this paper company, paper and chemical company, and I was new at it, and I was kind of like, you know, the new one on the block, and there were other reps, and there was a warehouse manager that, you know, he, he said he, he believed in God, he loved God, but I don't understand it, but it, initially when I first started, you know, in sales, I would, I would go out and I'd work so hard and I'd write all this business. And then you bring your orders back in uh, to the warehouse and you give it to the warehouse manager. So I'd have a stack of them. And, um, and this guy, initially, he just did not like me. I mean, everything that I tried to do, I just could not get him to like me. And, and so I would bring in my orders and then all of a sudden, uh, I realized... He wasn't shipping my orders. He was like putting it in the desk or just sliding it on the side. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're not delivering my orders to my clients and they're going out. And so we got really upset. We got heated. We got angry. I found myself wanting to jump over the desk and grab him. I just, everything within me was like, oh. And he says he loves God. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is going on here? You know, and, and we just had conflict. It was like, it was like I, I just could not understand why he was being so mean to me. And, and so there were moments where I was like, um, I come home and I tell Liza and I said, honey, this guy, he's getting under my skin. And I don't know what's going on. And finally... I, I realized that there was something in me that God was working on that was helping me to love those that don't always like me or that aren't always nice to me. I, 
it really, I, I, I really had to come to a point where the Lord showed me, you know, you need to forgive this guy. And you need to go to him. So one day, you know, before I, I went out and met with clients, I went into his office and I said, you know, I said, I really want you just to, I've been really angry with you and I really want you to forgive me. And um, I'm sorry for the way I responded to you. Now, I wasn't all wrong, but I took ownership for my part. And I was wrong in getting so angry. And you know, something shifted. And in his heart towards me, and all of a sudden, after that time, he started being nice to me. Not real nice, but nicer. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, my order started getting sh- you know, shipped out to my clients. And then there came the day where he said, hey, you want to go fishing with me? And I was like, oh my gosh, he wants to fish with me. <laughs> well, you know, I love fishing. So all of a sudden it was like, I, I realized that the Lord set me up. You know that? You know how the Lord just set you up? And, and now I, if I were to see him, I would thoroughly enjoy being with him and fishing with him, kind of joking about how we, we, we used to interact with each other. But God orchestrates things in your lives. And could he be orchestrating some people around you that aren't all like you and don't think like you and maybe even talk like you, but it could be those very ones that he wants you to begin to reach out to and befriend. Establishing friendships, part one. It's been said many times before, but the breaking up of the family is taking a terrible toll on our generation. A depersonalized society only compounds this problem. Genuine friendship is vital to our emotional health and well-being. Yet included among the multitudes who settle for shallow worldly counterfeits are numerous Christians who either don't accept or understand God's call to community and a shared life. As God is restoring His church... And showing us through the scriptures that authentic Christianity is relational, not organizational. We have a wonderful opportunity to enjoy friendship at a level the world can never know apart from Jesus. Developing friendships. It is God's will for us to enjoy wonderful relationships with others in the local church family where he places us. B, our starting point must be to give. The first blank in your outline is give. As we do, we shall reap. C, friendships grow by grace, and one cannot rush it or force it. Do you know, it takes God in the midst of a relationship to bring about a heart, two hearts to really connect with one another. Let me explain. 
when, when the apostle Paul cried out to the Lord and said, you know, would you please remove this thorn from my flesh? And his reply was, no, I'm going to keep it there. But he basically said that, that you will come to discover that my grace is sufficient. And you will come to realize that my power is perfected in your weakness. So in that, when we come together, it takes the grace of God to, to connect people's hearts together. And you know, some people come into the idea of friendships with the attitude, you know what, I've been there, done that. I've got my badge, thank you very much, and I don't want to do it anymore. Because the heart maybe got hurt. The heart got disappointed. The heart got let down. The heart basically broken trust. There's no more trust. There's no more respect. There's a multitude of reasons, but some people choose not to because I don't want to do it again. But we have to remember that our life is not our own. Our lives are His. You were bought with a price. And yeah, you have, you have a will. But ultimately, your life is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And if the Lord has said that this is something that's important, we're to love and have friendships with each other, it might be that you need to ask the Lord Jesus, Lord, would you give me the grace and the help to do this once again? And help me to grow in this area. Friendship takes time. The next blank, no, D. To develop and we need to enjoy the process. You can't just make friends happen. Hey, would you be my friend? Come on, be my friend. You know, it just takes time. And then E, friendship requires initiative and involvement. The next blank, initiative and involvement. If you want to have a friend, be a friend. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of that fear of man. You got to get out of that, what's going to, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to reject me? But the reality is, is that you've got to get out of the boat. The only way that Jesus, uh, Peter would, was able to experience the school of water walking is that he had to put his foot over the bow of the boat and get out on the water. And then all of a sudden he's like, whoo, I guess there's rocks under here or something. I don't know how in the world I'm standing on the water. Some of you got to get your leg over the bow and get out on the water to be a friend. It, you know, it could be a multitude of ways. Hospitality. Have some people over for, for dinner. After church, invite people to go with you and go out and have some lunch. Go get a burger. Hang out with each other. Do recreation together. Go hit the Blue Ridge Trail. Go out, you know, in the, in, in the, in the yonder and, and just experience God's beautiful creation here. Do some things together. Go fishing. I don't care. That would be a great thing. Attend meetings and activities together. Serving together on a ministry team. There's going to be, next week we're going to be talking about giftings, your giftings, and even 
You're going to be taking a gift evaluation. You're going to discover maybe the way uh, God has wired you, gifted you, has, has, has anointed you, and then how you can plug your giftings in to the church and serve in various ministries. So, F, friendship will be tested in order to develop our character. You know, when I wrote that, I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't like that. I'm like, well, maybe I should just erase that, you know? But it is true. Friendship will be tested. G, Scripture shows us nine characteristics of a true friend. Friends are few. A friend lays down his life. You guys can look at the Scriptures. A friend really knows you. A friend loves unconditionally. A friend is available for counsel. A friend speaks the truth in love. You know, I like that aspect. I'm so glad that he just didn't say, and a friend speaks the truth, because we'd have a lot of ouches, you know? It, you know, my kids, daddy, that ouchies, you know? I, I'm glad the love is there to wrap around it. A friend encourages. A friend will clash with you. Ching, ching. Iron sharpens iron. Has anyone ever heard the swords clash before? Ching. So there's a sharpening of one another. A friend is loyal. Maintaining loyalty in our relationships is so important. The significance of loyalty. Biblical loyalty is unswerving allegiance. The next blank. Unswerving allegiance to God and to his word. Loyalty is an aspect of love and essential to seeing a strong, healthy church built. Loyalty is the essence of commitment. You're committed. And we're loyal because God is loyal. He's faithful to us. He's loyal to us. B, practicalities of, of loyalty. Loyalty is demonstrated during a crisis, conflict, or disagreement. You know, there's not all, I don't always feel like demonstrating Love, when it's a crisis. But I have to be willing to lay down however I'm feeling, whatever I'm going through, so that I can be a loyal friend who sticks close. Loyalty to one another almost inevitably involves the tongue. Number two, the next blank, right in that blank, tongue. We must never minimize the importance of discipling and, and holding our tongue. I, I, you know, I have to tell you, a lot of times, you know, we get foot and mouth syndrome. You know, we, 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 our tongue, it's like, you, you know, you just say something, it's like, oh, I wish I could just grab that and just put it back in. You know, it's like, your tongue can really get you in trouble. Watch out. Watch your tongue. Active and passive disloyalty. We can spread false or slanderous reports 
and we can receive them without stopping the speaker. You know, I want you guys to listen to this gossip and slander. This is uh, number B, number B, B. Gossip and slander are really not to be tolerated in the body of Christ. Err on the side of caution. Gossip. What is gossip? Does anybody know what gossip is? What? That's right. It's bad stuff. It's, it's, it's like a morsel. It's like a dainty morsel. And everybody wants to just eat it. It's just, mmm, it's good. Woo, juicy. Oh, I like to hear that stuff. Woo, really? I didn't know that about that person. You know, it's gossip is giving or receiving negative information. The next bl- uh, blank. Giving or receiving negative information about another when you're neither a part of the problem nor a part of the solution. You're not a part of the problem, and you're not a part of the solution. If I was you, I would just back away from it, and I would stop it in its tracks. Gossip is a big deal to Jesus. Slander is communicating negative information about another with the intention of damaging his or her reputation. The next blank. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder. 1 Timothy 5.19. Instead, send the accuser back to him. When conflict arises, obey God's word to see resolution and reconciliation. A, 3A. When an offense arises, be quick to take initiative to be reconciled and don't wait. You know, the issue is this, is because Scripture says, you know, an offense is, is like bait on the end of a stick. And, and it's the intent of the enemy to bait you so that you take the bait of the offense. And then if, if, if an offense is harbored and kept within you, the Scripture says, do not allow any bitter root judgment spring up within you and defile many. An offended heart, it's like they can just Put slime all over everybody. And it's like you get defiled. You got defiled when you hear somebody um, talking with an offended heart towards somebody. Go with the goal of inquiring, not condemning. Always believe the best. Go recognize your own shortcomings and remember our mandate, which is to forgive 70 times seven, is to be a way of life. You know, some, some of us don't realize that when we have unforgiveness, you know, if you know when you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody and that you really don't want to be around them anymore, you start shunning them, you're like, I don't even want to talk with them anymore. I, you know, I'm going to be real nice but I'm going to let them go my way. I'm going, to be, I'm going to do my thing, but I am not going to talk to that person. And you might be saying, well, I'm just protecting myself. Are you? Or is there a little bit of unforgiveness? We got to really check our hearts and make sure that we're not offended and hurt. You know, we just kind of like pushed it down inside. Oh, that didn't hurt me. 
And then you end up not really wanting to be around that person anymore. So what is community? A group of people with a common characteristic or interest. Living together within a larger society, a unified body of individuals. Webster. You can see there that really the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all in perfect community. They're all in unity and harmony with one another, and they love one another. And this completeness is to be a model for us because it says in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What's their likeness? Their likeness is community. Their likeness is harmony and oneness and, and connectedness, and they're deferring to one another, and it's a beautiful picture. And the community can be found in, in, in A, if you look at uh, where does community look like, Roman numeral 2, A, it's Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm going to go ahead and wind it down right there. You can read the rest of it. But the reality is that community is something, if we look at the conclusion, community life is released when people of like passion and interest come together and purpose is discovered in our lives. If the number one reason we were created was to be in relationship with the triune God and each other, then we need to look at our lives and ask the question, does my life, my time, my priorities line up with this truth? If not, what am I going to do about it? Larry Crabb, I'll leave you with this, this last quote. Put it this way. As our lungs require air, so our souls require what only community provides. We were designed to live in relationship. Without it, we die. It's that simple. The beautiful thing about it is in Acts is that community was birthed out of this genius mind of God. And that is that they met in the temple. And I think probably one of the most important words in that portion of Scripture in Acts 2, and... Underline the word and in your Bible or in your outline. And in the homes. The genius of the church to explode and grow throughout all the world was this blueprint model where they met in, in the service, in the temple, in the gathering. And they celebrated all the great things that God was doing. They were praising God, listening to to the teaching of the apostle, there was prayers in the temple, and they were so excited because God was moving in their midst. They had the celebration service, but also, and, it says, and, and they met in the homes. The church is to be a two-winged bird. A bird cannot fly without one wing. It can't fly. You ever see a bird fly with one wing? It's, it's not all about the celebration service. It's also about us gathering together in homes, sharing life, breaking bread, having fellowship, praying for one another, crying with one another, laughing with one another, 
doing life with one another. And it says that they met day by day. Do you think that that was a priority to them, to meet day by day? Some of you would be thinking, no way. <laughs> day by day? Oh my, I get too exhausted. I mean, come on, think about it. Day by day, they met together in their homes and to the temple. They were doing life together. Why? Because they saw a value in it and because they knew they needed it. And the problem with America is that we're so individualistic. We're so individualistic-minded. When we get done with work, we want to drive into our garage, shut the garage door, say, thank you, Lord, I'm home. We don't want to talk with anybody else. But the genius of God is that, and then it says, if you'll follow this pattern, a Boeing 747 cannot fly with one wing. The genius of God is that this is what he blesses when we fall into the pattern of God and we realize that this is something he values for us to be in relationships. And therefore, when we're in this, it says then he added to their number daily that we're being saved. He's like, I'm going to bless this. I am going to honor this because you're doing it my way. And I'm going to bring people and add people to you that are going to be saved. Because when you fall in line with the way I like to do things, I'm going to bless it. If we just have a church on Sunday and this be it, we are we are not settling for what God's best is. We're to be meeting in homes. That's why we got five new ones starting up, home groups. Church life is also to be in the homes as well as in the temple, the celebration service. So God is all about this. And, and it took Jesus repeating himself time and time again with his disciples. Do you guys get this? Do you guys realize I keep telling you, love one another. Quit wanting to call down fire from heaven and kill everybody. <laughs> love one another. You know? I mean, Jesus would, I mean, he would put them around the table. I bet, I bet they were all around the table. He said, boys, 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 come on, boys. It's okay. Love one another. Love one. Girls, 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 girls. <laughs> love one another. Guys, guys, love one another. And he'd get around the table with them. I mean, time and time again. I mean, I, you know, Matthew, I'm sure, was very difficult to love. But Jesus used Matthew to bring out the best in Peter. And Jesus used Matthew to use John to grow in his love. And so... He's the master friendship maker. And in that, we follow into this pattern that we're going to be blessed by him. So I'm going to stop.